Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one that I can go campaign on and say we did. One, anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, it's been six weeks since the terrorist attacks in Israel happened on October 7th. Nick and I, with the latest on what is happening in the Israel-Hamas war. Meanwhile, here at home, speaking of domestic terrorism, Nick, uh, and you just heard Representative Chip Roy yelling uh, at the top of the show, never before seen footage of January 6th has been released by the House of Representatives and Speaker Mike Johnson. So there's one thing, Chip Roy, that your boys have done in Congress. Nick and I will weigh in on this. Plus, later on in the program, Curvin O'Quinn, the host of This Week Explained, he's a military analyst over at O'Quinn Analytics. He stops by to talk about the war in Gaza. The war is still playing out in Ukraine, a very forgotten war that is still happening. And why foreign policy matters. It really does matter. We should all be paying attention to what is playing out overseas. Kervin's going to explain all of that in our next segment. And finally, in our last segment, Nick, a Senate moment turns UFC pay-per-view. More on that in our last segment. First, I want to say a hello and a happy birthday to my co-host, Nicholas Savary, 45 years young. You don't look a day over 44. Uh, Proud to have called you a friend for a long time, buddy. We met in... What? Let me see now. Two, uh, no, 1999, 2000, right there. And uh, 
uh, bonded over uh, your Raiders jersey and my Raiders T-shirt, realizing that we're both idiots for rooting for the Raiders. Uh, and ever since then, a friendship has been born. I wish you a happy and a healthy. How are you doing? How, how was the birthday? How's everything going? It was good. It was. Uh, thank you so much for that intro. Um, it is. It is crazy. You know, I think about my the friends I've met in college, and I'm so. I mean, we're so removed from that in the sense it's been over 20 years. So, truthfully, yeah, you and I met before, you know, before the year 2000. So, it's been a long time. But you know, you're one of the friends I have that you know we text obviously often about the show and content, but even just the funny stuff between you and I that no matter how much time goes by, we pick up where we left off. And we, you and I joke about, you know, that awful show we did for the Raiders that, you know, it's still up on YouTube folks. If you ever want a good laugh, but, but oh, a yeah. fairly informative conversation about our favorite football team, which you will not get on most other outlets. And by the way, if, if you there. want, if you want to go watch a show of how not to do a show, go check out the Nick Savary show featuring Mike Leon. That is some of the funniest content you'll get. But get it, I didn't want to ruin your train of thought because the 31 views there are still going to sit there in, in anonymity. So not missing much there, but go ahead. Yeah, so it was, but I mean, just from, from there to where we are now, and obviously not just my birthday, but obviously we're now celebrating three years of this show. Um, and it's, it's, inc- it's incredible. You know, I think about actually in 2020, you know, um, I you had put together you were part of a great you know birthday gift my wife put put together for me just a video montage of just different people you know sharing happy birthday uh, and you were there which i especially appreciated uh, and that was just when we were moving into our house in pennsylvania and at that time you and i had done we actually it's so funny how this always comes back to the show right you and i had talked to our first guest and i was actually in a hotel room in bethlehem pennsylvania so yeah. I did that show, you know, from on location or whatever. And from that to where we are now, where you're just casually mentioning to me, you're like, you're going to go talk to Jake Tapper again and all, and all these amazing folks in media. And I'm really proud of that because it also speaks to, you know, just just the brand, <laughs> you know, the show is out there. Right. So all that being said, though, it's a great time. Um, it's funny. I spent the day on my on my actual birthday buying bookshelves. Yeah, I'm obsessing over not just like having a better background about for the podcast, but uh, I've been wanting to do that for a while. Books are starting to pile up on my floor, partly because this show, you know, Mike and I sometimes will you know be able to get copies of a book, you know, as a guest is coming on just for us to just prep and read through it. So, you know, there's a, almost a growing shelf of books I have that are that I'll just write on the shelf like CWPT. Like that's 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 our it's, tome of texts here. So it's. It's fun. And, you know, my ladies were just great to me. So I'm I'm, I'm really happy, blessed. And um, yeah, the March to 50 continues. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm a few years behind. But yeah, the March to 50. That's that's why I don't know what that looks like just yet. I'm, I'm eight years away from that. Um, what was I going to say? The uh, oh, the books, you know, so many publishing companies. And in our next episode, we got a, a great author that has a new book um, that's coming out. Or actually, it's, it is already out. Um, the democracy dies. A democracy in darkness by Caitlin Marie Carter. That's going to be our, our next episode. But there's a perfect example of an author, publishing company. They heard of the show. They know we're friendly to authors. For the people out there that think that Nick and I don't read these books, I do read these books. I read most of them. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, like some of these books are really good. And you and you're right. We have 
over these last three years, we've had so many authors on. And I think that's been the coolest part about this is as your birthday is right around when we launched this show. And we're going to be doing something next year, uh, a, a live show. It's going to be around some stuff. We're going to have an announcement on that coming up in the new year. But it's 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 cool to see, like you said, that birthday, we had Naveed Jamali on. He's a former military uh, intelligence officer. Funny enough, we've got one coming up in the next segment. And uh, he was Naval Intelligence, Naveed, and he wrote a book. I came on the show. He's a former MSNBC analyst and stuff like that. Like he was like our first big guest. You know, I'm using air quotes there. Shout out to Naveed, by the way. He's the editor at large at Newsweek as well. Um, and it was just so funny to have him as our as our first guest, you in a hotel room, me with a headset on. And now three years later, here we are. I'm over here on CNN TV and, and we're doing all this. You got a, an education show out there. Like it is wild. Uh, everything that's spun from that. Uh, let's give the people uh, something to talk about, to quote that famous song. And let's let's talk in our first segment here about uh, before we actually get into what's happening here at home. Let's talk about what's happening abroad, because the latest in the Israel Hamas war, uh, Israel has been allowing very minimal fuel into Gaza. The U.N. is warning of looming mass starvation as of this taping over the weekend, I believe on Friday afternoon, Israel had announced that they were for the first time going to allow daily shipments of fuel into Gaza. But the folks are saying it's not enough. There's at least 11,470 Palestinians, two thirds of them women and minors that have been killed since the war began. Again, this is according to the Palestinian health authorities who do not differentiate between civilian and militant deaths, according to the Associated Press. So I want to stress that because the biggest thing, and Kervin and I get into it in the next segment, has been around sourcing and how do you actually, uh, you know, interpret the series of facts and commonalities that you're getting from articles across the docket here. Um, there's limited phone access uh, amid, you know, like I mentioned about generators getting fuel. And so there's limited internet and phone access. And the Palestinian telecommunications company, Platel, said uh, over the weekend that phone and internet services are like partially working out there. Um, Israel says there's dire conditions in the Shifa hospital as they're still searching for the alleged Hamas command center. I don't know if anybody saw that report from CNN's Nick Robertson that kind of had the IDF what showing what they thought were tunnels. And then there were some sites like Al Jazeera proving that some of the stuff in that hospital was staged. The Arabic translations weren't actually what it said that was shown on TV. Uh, Kerwin breaks that down because he's a linguist in Arabic in our next segment. I mean, no better guest that we could have on. Steve Inskeep, uh, a friend of the show, the host of Morning Edition on NPR, had uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu on his program. He asked him a very poignant question about the deaths, the civilian deaths continue to pile up. And what are you trying to do to not only minimize that, but what's your end goal here? Take a listen to how he asked it. Take a listen to Bibi's response. How do you expect to make peace with people who have had their loved ones killed? I think that any civilian death and any the death of any child is a tragedy. And we're doing everything we can to minimize that. But uh, Hamas is committing a double war crime. You know, it's both targeting our civilians, murdering them, mutilating them, but also hiding uh, behind civilians as human shields. Now, what would you do? Well, in fact, you can ask what you did. Uh, 
But what do you because, do now is my question. How do you well, make peace with them now? Well, let, 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 me, let me show you how you did peace with people in, in which you had to act in, in many ways the way we did and, and actually beyond what we did. Uh, the, the, uh, the Chancellor of Germany visited Israel. He called Hamas after he saw the atrocities, the new Nazis. What did, what did you do with the Nazis? Hitler invaded Europe, committed the horrible uh, crimes, the worst crimes in history. Uh, the Allies invaded Normandy, went through uh, the cities of France and Germany. The German army implanted itself like Hamas in the cities, in civilian neighborhoods, in hospitals, you name it. Uh, it didn't stop you from acting. You had to act. You tried to minimize civilian casualties, but many, unfortunately, many civilians were killed. Now, I think history would have taken a different course, a totally different course, if at the time public opinion was geared against the Allies instead of being geared against the Understood, Nazis. but the question, of course, is the United States ended up keeping troops in Germany for generations. That's where you're heading here with, with Gaza? Well, I'm not sure of keeping troops inside. Uh, and in fact, uh, it's not particularly necessary. Gaza is very small. So the overriding military responsibility has to be with Israel for the foreseeable future. Because once you eliminate Hamas, and we have to eliminate Hamas, we have to beat these barbarians, otherwise this evil will spread, and it is uh, a great danger to everyone. But once we defeat Hamas, we have to make sure that there's no new Hamas, no resurgence of terrorism. But he was just asked, how do you not continue the pattern because you're killing family members of these people who could potentially be radicalized to join Hamas? It's a vicious circle of recidivism that I've ever seen play out in front. And by the way, and again, we ask Kervin this in the next segment uh, as somebody who has uh, been, you know, stationed in Iraq, in Afghanistan, you know, a guy who's who's worked with our U.S. military. So we ask him about this in our next segment. I don't want to kind of uh, put the cart before the horse, but the biggest thing that I take away from BB, I want to get your reactions on this, Nick, is no mentions of the hostages. That was about two minutes that we played there of a question of about four minutes. Now, again, I didn't listen to the full interview. I'm sure he did mention the hostages. I just want to give some perspective there that within that answer that he's talking about militarily, what do they do? Do they continue to, and I'm going to use this word, he didn't use it there, but occupy Gaza. He mentioned Gaza is so small. Well, if Gaza is so small, which people have told us, like Zach Foster, the Palestinian historian, why are we bombing it to death? Why are we forcing people to the south where 2.2 million people, you don't have that much real estate and Egypt is barely opening the Rafa border. So what are we doing here? Like, like he, he, I guess it's, it's, I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated because the hostages, as I've seen them go on more and more uh, TV shows, family members of the hostages, I should say, I saw something with Lester Holt that they did. Jake Tapper's been doing a great job having folks on. They're getting frustrated because they're not getting the answers from BB's government about, hey, what are you doing to retrieve the people that I know and love? Are they alive? Where's that information and intel? All I'm seeing is destruction and Gazans being killed, a lot of them innocent people that are not a part of this. What do you make of everything overall landscape-wise, Nick, as, as we enter the sixth week here of this war playing out? And then about Bibi's comments there a little bit as to what he thinks they need to do in terms of eliminating Hamas, but the way they're going about it could create a future terrorist cell in the region. What do you make of it all? Yeah, I, I appreciate your point about 
you know, that in, and again, it's just in that clip, but there's no reference to the hostages. You know, sometimes in a conflict, you can lose sight of why you're there in the first place. And that from the outset had felt like what was going on, that Netanyahu's issue is with Hamas. And rightfully so, because that is the organization that's responsible for October 7th. But in the matter of a hostage situation, you know, how is this level of warfare going to bring the hostages back? And that's what everyone's asking. That's what the family members are constantly bringing up is like, we want people home. And that's true in domestically in the United States. I mean, people are talking often about this. And, you know, the solution to trying to rescue hostages is often done through negotiation or even covert operations. But what usually is not going to get the job done is just blanket carpet bombing, you know, Gaza. Um, and I'm not going to criticize, I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong. I think there's been a lot of platforms where people are sort of in different places about that. And I want to be careful here because, you know, this was an attack on in, you know, on the state of Israel, that just, that's it period. And a sense. So how that country chooses to defend itself is really for that country to decide, but then the rest of the international community has to make its own decision on how they want to respectively address that. But having said all that, I, I do question the policy, um, and the, the teasing of occupation that Netanyahu kept kept bringing up is an interesting one because when he says, well, we have to destroy Gaza and, and ensure, and this was played in the clip you just shared, yeah, we have to ensure that another Gaza doesn't come. Well, that's the tough part because Gaza was a was an elected organization. Hamas. I, I Hamas, think, forget Hamas. Hamas. Yeah. Why don't I just say Gaza? Yeah, Gaza yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hamas was elected. Now, judge people for that all you want, but how do you stop people? I'll per, I mean, I'll bring that here for a second. You know, we we criticize, you know, members of MAGA constantly. And obviously, MAGA is not a terrorist organization, although they do have friendly relationships with the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers and all those organizations. Ooh, we're going to we're, we're get into that in a sec. Go ahead. Exactly. So um, it's a different thing, obviously. But their, you know, their savior, Donald Trump, was duly elected. You know, and I'm not one of those who believes that. You know, that people were coerced by the Russians or whatever. No, you people voted the way they wanted to vote. So and that same person is going to be on the ballot back next year. And even if he wasn't, the spirit of MAGA is still in the United States. Over in Gaza, if if an organization like Hamas is what is viewed as best representing their interests, how do you change the hearts and minds of people? And what will not likely do it? Is this type of warfare, as you were talking about, the, the likelihood of radicalization or just being, I mean, just being sympathetic and recognizing that, you know, I don't necessarily agree with Hamas. I mean, speaking, I mean, for people there, but like, I certainly don't agree with, you know, the country that's attacking us in Israel. And I imagine that's what's going through the minds of a lot of young people right now, you know, traveling from north to south and just trying to be free or just trying to be safe. At the end of the day, man, like regardless of where people are on this conflict, we're just talking about people wanting to be safe and home in the form of the hostages. And there's no easy answer. But in short, I, I, I do, I do wonder about the effectiveness of a strategy of trying to rescue hostages by by just open warfare in the way we're seeing right now. Yeah, it's it's been the thing that I, I've started to get more frustrated about again as a as a parent of two kids and, and I see some of the folks that are on TV talking about that. One thing that you did mention though, in fairness, well not in fairness, um, Hamas has not held elections since 2007. So we really don't know. And I think Zach Foster alluded to this in our episode that we did with him, the Palestinian historian. Uh like again, 
they took power. They were duly elected, but then Fatah didn't turn over power. So Hamas took it upon themselves to kill key members of, and just, you know, take over. And that's where the West has deemed them a terrorist organization for doing that. But they were duly elected. And since 2007, they have not had any elections. So I just wanted to make that point here. Um, you know, we're, we're going to continue to cover this. Uh, we're going to devote more to it. We have a few other folks that have actually been in Gaza before reporting on there that are going to be on the show in the coming weeks as we're, you know, around the holidays here and stuff like that. But it is very important to continue to cover this. So we're going to continue to do that. And like I said, you can click on the link in our show notes to donate to the humanitarian efforts that are playing out in Gaza. All right, let's turn our attention uh, to a terrorism that could be happening here, or at least was attempted once upon a time by a guy who was duly elected and did not want to relinquish control back on January 6th of 2021. And I'm talking about what recently just happened uh, this past Friday, where House Speaker Mike Johnson said he plans to publicly release thousands of hours of footage from the January 6th uh, attack on the U.S. Capitol, making good on a promise that he made to to members of his party when he had when they had that meeting internally. Nick, if you remember, after Speaker McCarthy was ousted and then obviously we had the Jim Jordan stuff, we had the Steve Scalise stuff. Nobody wanted them. And all of a sudden, Mike Johnson comes out of nowhere. He said in a statement that the decision will provide millions of Americans, criminal defendants, public interest organizations and the media an ability to see for themselves what happened that day, rather than having to rely upon the interpretation of a small group of government officials. He said, I'm reading now, according to the Associated Press, that the first tranche of security footage is going to be around 90 hours that's going to be released. That was just released this past weekend, excuse me. And then the rest of the 44,000 hours are going to uh, be posted over the next several months. And there's going to be a public viewing room that's going to be set up in the Capitol for viewing the footage. So Nick, if you want to take a quick trip to D.C., from Pennsylvania. I'll meet you over there and we can go watch the footage ourselves. I did want to play for you, Nick, real quick, uh, as I am now a political pundit myself on television, two political pundits on TV, a Democratic one and a GOP strategist, had a little back and forth about the great day of or the great day, the day that will live in infamy here of January 6, 2021, whether or not it is a day that will live in infamy. We always hear oh, it was a peaceful protest. No, it was a riot. No, it was an insurrection. Take a listen to the way these two strategists argue about it. Nick and I are going to react on the other side. Take a listen. This doesn't help. And I think it hurts the GOP and Donald Trump. Can you capture some of that sentiment, though, Ford, when you when you talk about misled? What exactly do you mean? I'm saying that the public has, has been misled by the Democrats for almost two years calling it an insurrection. And it's not an insurrection. It it's is a not. riot. It's what a riot that got it? it's a riot that got out of control. And That's an insurrection. More than, no, it is not an oh. insurrection. Does insurrection mean Joe Biden? When you guys, that's the point right there. Yeah, they, it's they the insurrection. They want to keep saying that. So Scott go. Scott. They they wanted to stop the peaceful transfer of power. They've said that. 1,100 people have been prosecuted. Police officers have died. That's an no, insurrection. Nick, by the way, Webster's Dictionary. You can go to merriam-webster.com. Insurrection means an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or an established government. All right? To use it as a noun, insurrectionist. To play my spelling bee game here, can you use it in a sentence? Uh, an insurrection potentially happened on January 6th, 2021. All right. Um, uh, all jokes aside, whether or not it's an insurrection or whether or not it was a riot that went bad, at the core of this was a contested election 
which the president has all authority to do, or any party that loses, just like Hillary Clinton did, exhaust all legal options, recounts, whatever it is. And once those are all done and all states have certified after December 14th, the key date that happens with the Electoral College voting, that is it. And finito, no more challenges. So January 6th happened because, and this is going to play out in a court of law with everything that uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith is bringing against the former president. As of those weeks leading up to January 6th, the former president who was active on the Twitter platform, I'm not calling it by the new name, freak that. Um, I didn't say the F word, I said the other F word. Um, Because of all of the stuff that he was posting on Twitter at the time, it was telling people that they were going to hold this Save America rally that was happening there. Speeches were given by a bunch of different people, kind of riling up the crowd and people in the crowd. Again, according to journalists that were there, we've had a few on this show that have been there. And we've had former FBI folks that have prosecuted people on this show as well. Um, They saw people with weapons. And then we all saw footage of when people actually came into the Capitol yeah, originally there were people walking around trying to find out what's going on, what's happening. They wanted to walk around. And then next thing you know, windows are breaking. Other areas have been breached of the Capitol. Not enough Capitol Police there. We've talked about this ad nauseum. Whether or not it was a riot, an insurrection, it doesn't matter. It was all illegal. It does not matter which one you say. It was all illegal. And they were all led there after all of the challenges were exhausted by a former president because he had lost an election. It doesn't matter about everything else is semantics. We're all playing the semantics game. He had lost January 6th was a date that should not have happened because that's the date of a certification should just been a normal Monday, Tuesday or whatever it was as part of the political process. But for some reason, we all know now the key dates of when the electoral college votes and when the certification process happens. I bet you none of you knew that before. January 6, 2021. All right, Nick, what do you make of Speaker Johnson releasing the footage? You texted me this again. And yeah, it's true. Like, I thought it wasn't an insurrection. I thought it was just peaceful process. What, what are we putting out here? Like, what new stuff are we going to see that we didn't see from these uh, January 6th hearings or other footage that's been leaked out in other documentaries and things like that? You can go on HBO Max, you can go on any of these platforms and watch a January 6th documentary that has a bunch of different footage playing out. What are we going to learn from this? What do you make of it? And then what do you make of the pundits back and forth there in, in that clip? I mean, it's it's funny to me because, I mean, first of all, this is just so partisan, right? Like if this had been, you know, a bunch of left-leaning people doing this, which actually we did see recently you know, with, you know, protesters asking for a ceasefire, you know, run up on, you know, um, the DNC. And my reaction was the same thing. Like, this is not what you do. And those Democratic members of Congress were escorted out of the building for safety purposes, obviously. So I, I think I'm, I, I'm I'm swirling with different thoughts here. But one thing that comes to mind is if you're watching on YouTube, and I hope you are, I have a copy of the January 6th together, all the testimony, all the details. There's an incredible timeline here. It's 20 bucks. It's well worth your purchase because it is a incredible piece of American history that we all witnessed on January 6th. Nothing in this book is refuted if you see more video. That's crazy to me. And that's what the argument is by the Republicans. If we watch more footage, somehow the details of what the committee unearthed is somehow less. I don't understand what MAGA universe these people live in, but it's not going to change anything. 
It doesn't change you know, members of the Capitol Police Department committing suicide. It doesn't change people running into the Capitol building asking to ha- demanding to hang Mike Pence. It doesn't change, you know, that shaman looking goofball who went in there along with others, including that one guy who put his feet up on, you know, Nancy Pelosi, because I see a bunch of people that allegedly maybe are out there having a sandwich and taking pictures outside the Capitol building. It's a stupid argument. I'm going to now Mike Johnson's an interesting fellow because in some cases, I wonder if this is also about if I'm going to make the argument for good intentions for a second, is the idea that, you know, we want to document this historical moment by making sure people have access to all information, which now obviously conservatives or at least MAGA people want because the argument that, well, because there were some people not doing this, therefore you can't call it an insurrection, which as Mike pointed out, you know, from the dictionary, it's literally that people going to a building trying to chase away members of Congress from certifying an election is an attempt to keep the next person from becoming president. That was the whole purpose of this. I don't care if one person did it. I don't care if one person was responsible for going into the chambers of Congress and forcing people to run away and not do their job. I don't know if, you know, this is the per I don't know if that's the goal of Speaker Johnson. Um there is a side of the benefit of transparency, but I, I'm stunned that conservatives somehow think, because I think this is what some are arguing is, you know, when more information is out there, it will lessen the impact of, of what came out in the committee hearing. And it's stunning to me. Yeah, I, it's it's wild to me because especially that GOP strategist, you would think that he would want to move past January 6th, right? Not really mention this stuff. So I'm, I'm taken aback that the party is thinking that this is the perfect time to just release more footage of this is is uh, uh, if you're if you're thinking that Donald Trump's going to eventually be your your candidate why would you release more stuff out there especially when next year he's going to be on trial for some of this stuff it doesn't make any sense to me we're going to leave it there because we're going to discuss more of it as more footage comes out we're going to devote some coverage to that when we come back after the break speaking of coverage We're going to talk about everything that's playing out and not only in the Middle East, the war happening with Israel and Hamas, but what's happening in Ukraine, the Russia-Ukraine war, and why all of this matters. Kervin O'Quinn, host of This Week Explained and an analyst over at O'Quinn Analytics. He's going to be joining me when we come back after the break. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode is presented by our friends over at BetterHelp. 
a new partnership that we're doing here at the show. I had been alluding to this a while ago because I can see it playing out everywhere. It's the end of the year. Uh, events are playing out not only here in the U.S., but internationally. And people are anxious. They're overwhelmed. And we need to talk. I mean, it's the purpose of this show, right? Can we please talk? And we've partnered with our friends over at BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I want you all to give BetterHelp a try because it's online, it's convenient, it's flexible, it's suitable to your schedule. Nick, I know you're excited about this partnership and we've been talking a lot about the mental health space and getting people to talk again, right? Give us a little bit of your thoughts on on this partnership with BetterHelp. You know, back in 2020 during the pandemic, you know, we, we saw the benefits of going virtual. And one of the biggest examples of that was the work that the folks at BetterHelp were doing about making mental health av- available in the virtual space. But oftentimes when we think about BetterHelp, we think about post-pandemic. And the reality is that BetterHelp has been around since 2013 to help provide access to healthcare. And they have about 30,000 licensed therapists that they're working with to offer that opportunity. I'm very excited about this partnership. Yeah, that's very well said. So all you got to do is go to betterhelp.com slash can we please talk. You're going to get 10% off your first month. You're going to fill out a brief questionnaire while you're there so you can get matched up with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists as well anytime for no additional charge. You know, I want people to start talking again. That's why we've done this partnership with our friends over at BetterHelp. Hit the link in our show notes or go to betterhelp.com slash can we please talk to get started today. This episode is presented by our friends, our good friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. The coffee that's keeping me awake when Nick Savary is putting me to sleep with one of his trains of thought. Are you, you give me a look here, Nick. Uh, give me a little bit of how Fresh Roasted Coffee keeps you awake when I'm boring you with some of my trains of thought. Okay, thank you. <laughs> An interesting introduction. Folks, I'm a huge fan, as you all know, of Fresh Roasted Coffee, primarily for the simple fact about diversity if you're a tea person they've got you covered if you're a coffee person they got you covered too mike and i take our coffee very differently mike is a keurig man that is efficient that is tasty that's the way to go i am a french press person nowadays i actually grind my own beans so when i get my batch of fresh roast coffee it goes right into the grinder then to the french press boiled water let's go but in either case our cup of coffee comes out delicious Mostly because they ask you at the jump, what's just tell us about you. Simple quiz. They'll direct you to the bean or brand that you you should be getting in touch with. And that's the way to go. And then they just produce an incredible cup of coffee again, regardless of how you do it. No, that's exactly right. You can take the quiz over at freshroastedcoffee.com. And in the show notes page right now of this episode, hit the link for a discount or enter in the promo code after you've taken the quiz, after you've selected the coffee you're going to order, enter in the promo code. Can we please get 20 for 20% off your first purchase? I'm telling you, this coffee is delicious. Go to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right. Kind enough here to give us a couple minutes to analyze everything that's happening with the Israel Hamas war, 
the latest in Ukraine, President Biden's uh, military plans. He's the host of This Week Explained, a fantastic podcast you can go listen to wherever you get your pods. Also, an analyst over at O'Quinn Analytics, Kervin O'Quinn. Kervin, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. No, thank you for having me. Honestly, I, I do get a lot of my information from you guys because I think your podcast is amazing. It, it brings, there's so much nuance going on in the world and you tackle it in a way that's unbiased. And, and that's part of what we're, we try to do yeah. at This Week Explain. So fantastic podcast. I'm just over, you know, through the roof just to be able to be on here with you guys. Whoa. I mean, geez, uh, the, the adulation here, folks. I, I don't know if I can fit my uh, my halo through <laughs> the door or my ego now. Uh, I, I truly appreciate that. And, you know, we Nick and I have mentioned it a bunch on the show. It's it, Now, look, everyone knows kind of where Nick leans. I try to not have you be able to glean where I, I, I lean politically. And that's the point of what a host versus a commentator should be doing. So it's those kind of uh, subtleties that people don't get on television. And that's what I'm trying to bring. So I truly appreciate that, that that's coming out uh, to other people that are listening to the show. So I truly appreciate that. Let's get into what some of your expertise and some of the stuff that you guys do great, that you do way better than Nick and I do. And that's really explain foreign policy, what's happening overseas, the latest with Israel Hamas. Uh, you and I were talking about this off air about you know, just how many folks have, have passed away, according to the health ministry in Palestine? The humanitarian crisis is unfolding. We've mentioned it a bunch on our show. But since October 7th, right, we still have over 1,500 Israelis that died, 240 hostages as of this taping that are still in captivity. I, I'm just curious from your perspective, and we've devoted so much to the conflict overall and the history of it, but what do you make of everything before on October 7th? And after. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate you starting with that October 7th, because that's what what kicked it off. Right. Uh, if you look at it in hindsight, does Israel go and and do this shock and awe to Gaza if Hamas doesn't perform these brutal attacks? And that's that's what they are. And we we've kind of missed that in the media over the last couple of weeks because the highlight has been, you know, how far Israel has gone. Now, look, Israel's got a balancing act that they they have to figure out. Right. They could they could have done none of the bombardment. They could have not hit any of the infrastructure and gone in and done a ground offensive against Hamas and probably protected a lot of human civilian lives. But they chose not to because the, the, they felt that the attacks were so brutal that it required a statement attack into Gaza. Now, I'll give my opinion on here. Do I do I agree with that? No, but that's trying to fix a Middle Eastern problem with Western solutions. It's what we did in, in Iraq and Afghanistan when we tried to win hearts and minds. And we tried to keep the these we as the U.S. and U.S. I was a former army intelligence analyst. Uh, I've been to Iraq. I've been to Afghanistan. Uh, I've participated in those wars. And I understand that we tried to win hearts and minds. And it did not work. Look at where we stand right now in the global war on terrorism. It did not work. And I do think Israel saw that and they realized, well, first, we are going to have to completely and their plan is to annihilate Hamas. And I do want to make that distinction. And if you believe what Netanyahu says and what Israel says, they want to annihilate Hamas, not the Palestinians. Whether you agree with with that statement or not, that is up to your your own opinion. And I think everybody's opinion is valid on that. But in order to to annihilate Hamas, they decided that they were going to have to hit 
strategically strike civilian infrastructure that they believe was holding Hamas terrorists. They have shown um, photo evidence and video evidence of Hamas underneath the uh, Shifa, uh, Shifa hospital. Uh, there are some reports out in Al Jazeera and other publications that say that it's not actually, that what they showed was not actually a Hamas headquarters. But that's a, that's a conversation and debate to have um, but between the IDF and Gaza. They've, they've shown this. Um, we've had P, the PR director for Hamas publicly go on uh, Memory TV, which is a, an Arab uh, news site that pretty much leans more Arab right wing. And he said that those tunnels that are underneath these civilian infrastructures are not for the civilians. They are not to, to be put there. They're, they're only there for Hamas and to protect Hamas soldiers, which they consider themselves a military. They are there to protect Hamas soldiers from Israeli attacks. And so that that's where they stand right now. Um, so the way that Israel went about, they kind of delayed that, offense, that ground offensive into Gaza so that they can do these what they would call precision strikes onto civilian infrastructure. And the humanitarian crisis that's going on right there is, is terrible. Like I said, I, I do not agree with what Israel did, but I also think that we should also be pointing the finger at Hamas for, for the same reasons. Well, Israel is unfortunately throwing, just shooting rockets at civilian infrastructure. Hamas is using human shields human civilians palestinians people that our hearts should break for as their human shields and and so what's the solution i don't think i can find the solution from my own worldview because it's so westernized yeah i, I totally agree you know i i've had so many different people that have been to the region including like you said yourself about some of these other uh, uh conflict zones and it is so tough because it, it always plays out when there's something happening with respect to Gaza and Israel. It's the same thing. It's an attack that's levied and then Israel's uh, response, excuse me, whether it's proportional or not in the eyes of the entire world. And it's always because, well, well, they're hiding among civilians. So, like, how do you get that person out? I will ask you this. Um, you mentioned something there about the information from Al Jazeera and some other sources and you credited us in terms of like news breakdown and stuff like that. But like I tell people, we shouldn't be your only source of truth. You should be, you know, taking those series of facts and commonalities that you find across the news specter. So how do you guys over at This Week Explain kind of sift through all the information, misinformation, disinformation that's coming out about what is happening in the region? Because you pointed to that IDF example that was, I believe, a CNN report from Nick Robertson, and they were showing underneath the tunnels and then there was some language that was in Arabic that people on social media said that doesn't translate to what CNN was claiming in that report. So how do you kind of sift through this? Because here's a credible news outlet that's embedded with the IDF. And people are like, yeah, you're showing stuff that's just a calendar. It's a monthly thing. It doesn't actually have names of hostages. How do you sift through all of it? Yeah. So especially within this conflict, I guess I'm a little bit blessed because I am an Arabic linguist. Um, so, so I can kind of read things like Al Jazeera uh, memory from the the original context. So from the Arab language, and, and so I do understand that language languages are different. You, you look at 
we're in the U.S. Look at the Bible. We have so many different translations of the Bible because whatever was written in Hebrew has been translated over time and could have been translated wrong. So that's my my first thing is if you are going to a a source that's a different language that you don't understand, I know not everybody has the ability to find a translator, like maybe you know somebody who's embedded with with translators, but if you go to that original source, you can identify, you know, maybe the the nuance that's going. Now, the way that I do it and the way that I tackle all of these issues is I have to, before I announce something, um, before we talk about it on the podcast, it has to be multi-sourced. And those sources have to be, to be publicized. Um, having a single anonymous source is not something that I jump onto. So what I do is talk about the what happened, and you were right, that's the CNN report that the IDF um, showed these pictures and showed the videos to embedded journalists. Well, if CNN is the only one talking about it, listen, there's embedded journalists from Reuters, from the Associated Press, from all over. If CNN's the only one reporting on it, that leads me away from that report. But if multiple journalists are reporting firsthand accounts of very similar things that are going on, then you have a multi-sourced report. Another thing I look at that a lot of news publications are doing now, especially with clickbait, is they it appears that it's multi-sourced, but they are sourcing it from themselves. So they'll mention a topic, and then they'll have a link as part of part of what they're writing to go back to to get more information on it. When you click that link, let's say you're on uh, you're on Fox News or CNN, you click the link and it sends you to another Fox News or CNN article. That's a red flag for me. That that means that they are attempting to reestablish a story that they had days or weeks ago. They want to do it through backlinks. And that's been the problem with the media and what I found and why we started this week explain and started posting things on Instagram at Oakland Analytics is because uh, the the media has turned into a for-profit organization. And in order to be sustainable, they've got to make more money to do that. They do more clickbait headlines. And they're hoping you click on it, just read the headline and move on. And that's that's the story. But if you get into it, and you, f- you realize that the links they're putting in or the sources that they're using are just their own sources and not eyewitness testimony or you know, multiple, multiple different people telling them the same thing or similar things, um, then th- that's, that's an article that I will just close out of and continue doing research. I, I could not like that answer more. <laughs> I, mean, I, I got to be honest. That's And again, things that... A normal journalist would answer back as well. You got to have two sources on or off the record before I'm actually printing it, before an editor is actually seeing it and, and saying it's okay to go out there. So, but you're right, the model has changed for these businesses, and they know that as well too. I, I don't think they would shy away from that. I did want to ask you though, as as we pivot a little bit here on another conflict that has really lost the media's spotlight and attention. And it's really what's happening in Ukraine. There's a bunch I want to ask you about some stuff that candidates have said about uh, Russia overall and what is playing out in Ukraine. But first, high level, as you've been covering this on the show and the latest that's happening out there 
in Ukraine, I saw something that uh, there's a counteroffensive that President Zelensky uh, said recently uh, in the eastern shore of Dnipro that, that the Ukrainian forces have secured a pivotal position there. What what has been happening in Ukraine? What is the latest that is playing out there? And obviously, that invasion by Russia into a sovereign nation that's not getting as much coverage as because of what's happened on October seventh here in Israel. What do you what do you make of what's playing out there in Ukraine? Yeah, and you framed it perfectly. That's why I listen to this show. You know how to frame a question the correct way. And, and it's I said it a few weeks ago on our podcast. You'll probably so the first thing we talk about is Russia, Ukraine. And I say that's probably not what you're gonna hear on on any major news or major podcast. Because we cannot forget about it. Um, right now we're basically at a stalemate. Uh, I don't see that either side is winning, and that's includes the information operation campaign. Um, now, each side has has won separate battles. Uh, Ukraine has fought. They're doing a counteroffensive. It's a slow-moving counteroffensive. They are taking back some of that land in the south and the east. Their ultimate goal is to take back Crimea, take all of that annexed land back from Russia because Russia is the aggressor. They want to go and, and just counter all of that push push Russia back. Now, Russia's made some um, advances in uh, Advirik, I think is is one of the name of the, the areas in Ukraine. They've made advances there, and we're basically at a stalemate. We are so much at a stalemate, and the problem with keeping keeping Ukraine out of our mouths, you know, for lack of a better term, Will Smith, um, the, the problem is we have forgotten what's going on. And so now the push from the U.S. to Ukraine is, hey, we cannot support two wars, the, the Israel-Hamas conflict and the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And so you're going to need to come to the table and you're going to need to capitulate on some things that you said were red lines for you. And that's what they're asking Zelensky right now. We're getting into a time in, in the weather of Ukraine where that ground. And I, I was in Poland for an overt anti-Russian aggression campaign. I was there in the November timeframe. It is not fun to be there outside walking around. It's much, it's sludge. Your vehicles don't move as well. And that's what we're dealing with, or not we, sorry. That's what the Ukrainians and the Russians are dealing with right now with their militaries is having a problem moving along the front lines on the ground. So what has Russia done? Russia's taken the fight uh, through the air They've thrown missiles, they've um, done suicide drones or kamikaze drones, and that's actually, they hit Kiev or attacked Kiev. They didn't, they didn't, get, they didn't hit anything due to the um, you know, air defense systems that are in Ukraine. This was the first time in over two months that they actually attacked Kiev, and, and I think it's because of that sludge that is on the ground in Ukraine, and so Russia's taking an opportunity to keep the attack towards Ukraine, especially while, while the global audience is, is hyped up on Israel Hamas, the new shiny toy that we all want to talk about in geopolitics. And I do caution against that. Like, let's not forget what's going on on the ground in Ukraine. Russia is an aggressive nation that is hoping that everyone forgets what happens and Ukraine comes to the table and starts to capitulate towards some things. And Putin's going to take advantage of that. 
and that's why the, the Poles and the Finns and, and a lot of countries like Sweden and Lithuania are very worried about Russia, um, especially right now. You know, I'm so glad that you said some of the stuff that you said there towards the end, because the national media, like you said, a little bit of the back burner in terms of the coverage of what's happening in Ukraine. But where I live here in Miami recently was the third GOP debate. And this was front and center because of funding packages that Speaker Johnson was proposing before the debate happened, this two-prong approach, and specifically not having Israel or Ukraine funding in the package. Something that candidate Vivek Ramaswamy mentioned on the stage that I criticized later on on television as we were talking about media. Apologies for that, Kerwin, but uh, I need the exposure. Um, so he, he said something that I want to play for you here, and I want to get your reaction on the other side. So take a listen to this. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. It has consolidated all media into one state TV media arm. That's not democratic. It has threatened not to hold elections this year unless the U.S. forks over more money. That is not democratic. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. More facts for you that you won't hear from the mainstream in either party or the mainstream media. The regions of Ukraine that are occupied by Russia right now in the Donbass, Luhansk, Donetsk, these are Russian-speaking regions that have not even been part of Ukraine since 2014, that other people probably couldn't name those provinces for you. Those are the hard facts. And so to frame this as some kind of battle between good versus evil, don't buy it. I am telling you, Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. All right. So a bunch there, we kind of demystified some of that as to why they consolidated parties. There was some Russian controlled interest there, why they've consolidated things. But you can see the buzzwords and phrases that Vivek was harping on and Nikki Haley's response as somebody who was a former ambassador. What do you make first of Vivek's comments without getting too much into the politics of it? This is somebody that could be leader of the free world and has a policy, it looks like, of appeasement towards Russia, and he's spouting talking points from folks that are further right than he is. What do you make of it all? Or even what do you make of what I just said there? Is some of that accurate? So, okay, let me start by saying one of my favorite lines from a previous uh, GOP presidential debate was from Nikki Haley, who's, who told Vivek Ramaswamy something that I agree with is, the more you talk, the dumber I feel. Like you have lowered my IQ, the more you talk. And honestly, he look Vivek is playing to a, a right wing audience, right? He's part. He's the GOP candidate. He's going to be elected by a right wing uh, electorate, and and so that's what he's talking to. And that has everything he has said, or he's and and he said this is facts. This is facts. No, this is right wing talking points, and that's not just saying the political side of things. These are, if you go to right wing media sites or or conservative media sites, these are what the talking points that you're going to hear to say, because at one time, you know, Russia controlled Ukraine or these lands are Russian speaking areas is while it's true, there are Russian speaking people or the majority of Russian speakers there and maybe people who identify as Russian. That does not make that Russian land. It would be the same as going to El Paso, Texas or El Dorado and saying, well, this is these communities are 70, 80 percent Hispanic and they, they speak Spanish. Mexico can just come in 
and take those areas because these people identify more from their Mexican heritage than they do as U.S. citizens. That is blatantly false. That is a slap in the face to sovereignty in nations. What Russia did to Ukraine when they crossed that border was a slap in the face to sovereignty. Uh, and, and I listen, Vivek Ramaswamy has some great ideas on domestic issues, on fixing the economy, but his foreign policy talks are, are borderline too aggressive for me, I would say. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth and a lot of the things that I've said over on television. I think that's part of the reason why we're, we're getting along here, Kerwin. Yeah. I, again, he has. Economic... I'm trying not to. Let me try to say something that'll spice <laughs> things up a little bit. Here. No, no. But it's it's true, though. Look, there is one thing to being a CEO and understanding economic policy and zero based budgeting. Totally agree with with some of that and how you execute that. It's another thing to be on the campaign trail and just spout off different things that, you know, are not true. A or B that you can't accomplish without you know, some of the backings of the legislative branch in Congress. So I'm glad you said some of that. I do want to pivot. Now let's get into the executive branch because the actual free leader of the world right now is President Biden. And obviously he just met with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping recently out in San Francisco. He was asked if, if he would still continue calling him a dictator. And he gave some type of answer that said, yeah, he's technically a dictator because he runs a communist state. Um, I want to ask you, what uh, what is what has the Biden administration done good, in your opinion, on the military? Because we're seeing right now a hold up with military promotions from Senator Tuberville in Congress. And we're seeing at least uh, on the right wing side, there are talking points that our military is down. You're the analyst. You're the expert here. What has the Biden administration done well, in your opinion, or wrong, in your opinion? We saw the Afghanistan withdrawal uh, as he's been leader of the free world and, and leader of one of the largest militaries out there in the world. Well, well I mean, first of all, we'll, let's talk about the Afghanistan withdrawal. I think that was a disaster. Um, I, I don't think that was fully uh, the Biden administration. I do think he had uh, leaders within the military that explained to him that they did not believe the Taliban would take control back as, as quickly as they did. Biden thought he had plans in place to secure the military to get them out of there. That completely collapsed as they started to pull out. Um, listen, Biden's been like every president for the military. He's done good things and he's he's done bad things. Um, he followed uh, along Trump's line of of stopping foreign wars, pulling the pulling troops out of Afghanistan was a great idea. It wasn't executed properly, but to stop spending on a 20 year war so that you can start to fund other pieces of the military is is excellent. Biden has done an excellent job of that. He's done an excellent job in um, national security and defense. I say that because he is or his administration is calling for, you know, smaller, cheaper and a lot more pieces of equipment, the use of drones, whether in air, by sea or on ground. And the administration understands the next war is with China. When when China, when Xi decides to invade Taiwan, the U.S. will get involved in that. And that's going to be a war that we have not seen since World War II. It'll be a near peer battle. Um, there will be uh, information operations there. There's going to be um, what's called anti-denial, anti-access, A2, AD um, factors at play, which just means that our, you know, 
the, the GPS systems that the military use is going to be shut down and we're not going to be able to use that. Drones that we you know used all over in Iraq and Afghanistan because we had air superiority will no longer be, be able to be used. And we have to start now training our service members to fight that battle. And I can tell you from my personal experience, the things that I have done within the Department of Defense recently shows that the trajectory of the Department of Defense is along those lines. It is a near-peer battle fight, and how do we accomplish that? So he's done a very good, good job at that. Uh, you, you brought up Tommy Tuberville. Uh, I, I'm not going to say, listen, I, I went to the Louisiana State University. I'm not going to say any good things about Tommy Tuberville, the former coach of Auburn. But as as a senator, he put uh, he drew a line in the sand. And I think that the Democrats, not to get political on here, but this is just how the fighting went. I think that the Democrats went the wrong way in in fighting him with that, because what should have. So what Tuberville did and you kind of set that up is he he denied voting on all of of. Uh, military leadership that's coming in because of uh, things like DEI and things that he says in the military are leaning to what he would call a woke military. Um, I personally don't agree with that. I've sit, sat through some of these briefings and, um, and, and it's just where the, it's the evolution of the military. The, the evolution of the military is going to fit with the el evolution of the civilian uh, people. And that's where we're, we're gearing towards. So Tuberville said, we're not going to vote on it, but you can vote on these people individually, which had Democrats were right. That has never happened. Um, but I understand they don't want to start a precedence, but now they're starting to do those individual votes. And I think if it happened a year ago, Tuberville loses the fight and he looks honestly like a moron for doing it because the, the Democrats uh, would have then said, Hey, you know, we're going to call your bluff. We're going to vote these guys individually and we can get them we can get them voted in a, along party lines. Now, also, just because you you have an acting joint chief of staff or, or acting any one of these leaders of the Marine Corps, or the Navy, that that may mean that they can't get as much accomplished. But just because you're the acting Secretary of Defense, the acting Joint Chief of Staff, does not mean you cannot put policies in place for the military that extend past your time in office. So I, I just really think that we are so politically, we are so far from each other that these fights are now affecting the military, and that's going to affect national security. And we cannot have that happen with a more emboldened Xi Jinping, a more emboldened Putin. Uh, Iran, who feels who's, you know, sitting pretty right now, they've got their proxy forces fighting for them in Israel. And the U.S. is sending billions of dollars and, in, in, you know, stockpiles that we should be you know, increasing are now depleting because we're trying to help fight two different wars. You know, again, and in, in, in maybe it's because it's not so much that I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying. It's the way you are saying it. And it's the simplicity of breaking down things that people are struggling to understand the importance of it. So I encourage people out there to go download episodes of This Week Explained, because I want to get to my final question here before I let you go, Kerwin, is, is really about 
not only your show, but why your show's topics matter, why foreign policy matters. You know, we've seen uh, voter polls that have said that foreign policy is always registering at the bottom for people when it comes to voting issues. It's always right. The economy what's playing out maybe with immigration, depending upon which demographic of folks you're talking to. But foreign policy even for focus groups we've done here uh, in the state of Florida and the state of Illinois, it's always down near the bottom. And yet here's a major part of the presidency right now in Biden's first term in office where he's fighting two wars, uh, neither of which he started. Right. Yeah. Getting us out of wars. And he and here come two more. And in a lot of polling so far has been shown that people are being affected by this. you got a lot of folks that are Israeli or Jewish that live here. You've got folks that are Palestinian that live here, and and we're seeing emotions play out. So I want to give you a chance to really talk to our audience about why foreign policy matters and then why they should tune in to new episodes of This Week Explained. But tell the people why why this stuff matters outside of of the U.S. Yeah, definitely. So so let me pose maybe a question to you first. What's the number one thing people are worried about? The number one thing people are worried about, uh, it's got to be the economy. Domestic. There you go. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yep. That I knew what the answer was going to be. I just wanted to, to pose it to you. Guess what? Foreign policy directly affects our economy. That's just a fact. You know, sanctions being in place on China affects the economy. How does it, you know, war, the war in Ukraine affected supply chains. It affected the U.S. economy. You on a personal level are affected by every conflict that happens across the world. And you you have no idea. And that's why foreign policy is so low on everyone's concern is uh, and maybe why it's so high up on, on my concern being an intel analyst and having dealt with all of this stuff and see the ramifications of it that you what you don't know actually in actually is actually impacting you you don't really care about and on a human level that's just true if i don't so I have, I have three kids if i don't know what they're doing with their friends it ha, it has no impact on me the moment i find out that they are doing something improper with their friends that affects me but i don't know about it until it comes to light with foreign policy a lot of things are happening uh behind the scenes that we don't see that are we can see it, but that's not what we're going to to search out for because it doesn't tug at our heartstrings. You know, a conversation between Biden and Xi Jinping doesn't really tug at the heartstrings. But that, you know, if that summit would have gone terribly bad, our the stock market crashes, um, supply chains are disrupted. It affects your pocketbooks on a personal level. So I do, I, I really would press people to keep in tune with with foreign policy. The other thing is, and probably the number two thing that people worry about is national security. I always joke that if you want to pass something in Congress, just slap national security on it and you're going to get all the votes you want. Because everybody, the government, to me, in my opinion, has one job to keep its citizens safe. That is national security. And foreign policy directly affects national security. The way that Biden speaks about Israel is affecting national security right now. There are a lot of people within his own party who are up in arms because of how he is talking about Israel. Whether that's that's right or wrong, they are upset by it, and that's going to affect policy towards national security. 
And so it is very important to to keep abreast to to geopolitics. And I know it can be boring and you know many people just don't understand what's actually going on. So you want me to plug the the podcast here here it goes. You hear me right now. This is how you're going to hear me on the podcast. Uh, I do it with with my wife who is just a civilian. She was a military wife for 15 years. She's had to deal with me talking about all of this for over 20 years now. And she's my question person. She's the person that keeps me on track to be you, the audience. She is your voice because she feels the same way about all of these things. She is, I want to talk more about the economy. I want to, to know how this affects me on a personal level. And that is why I did, that's why we started This Week Explain, because I wanted to highlight to people that all of this nuance and all these little uh, conflicts and, and things that may seem so distant affect you personally. And we try in, in a lot of our episodes to give tips and advice on how to keep yourself safe, um, how to, to understand when your pocketbooks are going to be hit, maybe start saving more. But the reason why we are paying more for groceries and cars and infrastructure is because of foreign policy. We are a global economy. Everything is based off of imports and exports and how we acquire uh, different things, how, how material is made and manufactured. And a lot of that's been outsourced globally, and that's every country. So it, we're all being affected by it. There you go. I could do no better job than telling you why you should go listen to This Week Explained. Or if you're on social media right now, if you're on Instagram, follow Quinn Analytics. Uh, you can go check them out on LinkedIn. Kerwin, I can't thank you enough for hopping on the podcast and giving us a couple minutes. I think you do a great job breaking all this stuff down. So continue success to you and your wife, and please stay safe. Thank you, Mike. And I will tell everybody, listen to us, but also listen to this podcast as well. They're going to give you different opinions and different views. And I want you to use both of those views to formulate your own opinions and your opinions do matter. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Better Sleep, a personalized sleep experience for more restful nights and wakeful days. Nick, How's your sleeping habits, buddy? I know you got two kids. You wake up early. You go to sleep late, probably. Take me through. Are you are you sleeping better? Do you need help getting to sleep? What's, what's, what's your big uh, issue and hang up here as you're trying to fall asleep at night? My quality sleep. I, I tend to, I tend to go to sleep late. You know, I, I love to read, and but inevitably I do have to get up early. So I'm averaging probably maybe like five hours of what I would consider like quality sleep. So yeah, I'm I was excited you mentioned this partnership because. You know, one of the things about Better Sleep that's awesome is the fact that the entire sleep experience is what they focus on. Everything from sounds to help you sleep, you know, better understanding your sleep patterns. And Mike, that's that's really the breakdown that they offer. Super easy app to use. Um, I can't brag enough about it. I'm starting to use it myself just to really just better understand how I sleep and how I can improve that. Because it's we take it for granted, but almost any athlete will tell you, any professional will tell you our understanding of sleep is coming to the forefront of what really helps to improve performance. So I'm, I'm all for it. No, you're right. Anybody will tell you, you need your eight hours at least. Improve your well-being in just one week. If you go to the link right now in our show notes, it's going to take you over to better sleep and you can take the quiz. They have a take the quiz button that's available right there as soon as you come into the app. So that way it can adjust the sounds and everything you need to get a better quality sleep. Click the link in our show notes right now and head to bettersleep.com for a restful night's sleep.
All right, our thank yous there to Curvin O'Quinn. Like I mentioned, go check out the podcast this week. Explain, go download that wherever you get your pods. Download that, excuse me. Uh, military analyst over at O'Quinn Analytics. You can follow them as well too on Instagram. Nick, you know you weren't you weren't able to join us uh, for the 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 interview there because of your birthday. Um, but what do you make of some of the things that Curvin said there? You know, he, he he has reached out to me before in the past, and obviously, as you heard, I'm a big fan of the show, so we appreciate that. And and likewise to him because. I thought he broke down some of the stuff there and why foreign policy affects some of these other issues that we're starting to see voters become single, single issue voters. Everyone has mentioned this term about people are like, no, I'm just voting whoever's got the best economic policy. I'm just voting because I'm very big on immigration. And he's like, look, this is why foreign policy matters and will affect the economy. I thought he broke some of that stuff. Uh, great. What would you make of it? I, I know you weren't able to join us, but what'd you make of, of Kervin and the show this week explained to? Yeah. You know, it was, I mean, the first, I mean, first thing that stood out was, you know, his point about, you know, the profit motive in media. And it, as he, as he was talking about, I was reminded of, you know, some of the courses I took at Rutgers you know, about, you know, when I was, you know, for my journalism program. And it was just very much just sort of a rehash of it. And I graduated college, I'm like now 20 something years ago. And it was just refreshing because here's yet another, you know, person just reminding us all that you know, the profit motive it plays a huge role in the way that the media operates sometimes. Um, and he talked about clickbait and just sort of what sometimes pulls people into these stories. I really liked him talking about how to vet stories that he'll read, you know, stories that are not based on eyewitness reports. He'll just step away from and, you know, research elsewhere. And I thought that was that was awesome. Yeah, I think the most chilling part, though, was just the clear the clarity that he talked about of, of what the U.S.'s next conflict may be or whom it may be with, you know, being with China. And just the reasons why, as it relates to Taiwan and what may happen to us, you know, that coupled with his assessment of positive assessment of, you know, where Biden's defense strategy is coming from and, you know, what's worked and what's not been so great, you know, specifically Afghanistan, you know, really stood out. I, I again, appreciate his expertise, but, you know, his, the level of seriousness, the level of comfort he was with talking about the very real likelihood of his, you know, getting into a conflict with China is something we should all be taking, taking very seriously. Yeah, I totally agree. So he is great. And, and like you said on the show, him and his wife do this week explains so you can go download episodes of this week, explain available wherever you get your podcast. All right, Nick, in our final segment, we teased it at the beginning of the show that a UFC style pay-per-view brawl, uh, a, a fight promo where the two boxers are yelling at each other broke out in the Senate uh, last week, if you missed this, folks, you're in for a treat. Get ready for this, because at a Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee meeting, which you would think would be a snooze fest on C-SPAN 2, turned out almost into a fistfight between Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma and the president of the Teamsters Union, Sean O'Brien. If you didn't see the exchange, take a listen to this. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Big oh, hold, stop it. Is that your solution? Every poll. No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Okay. okay. Sit down, please. Nick, this is one of the funniest moments I've ever seen break down in a Senate hearing. Uh, and you heard Senator Bernie Sanders there of Vermont breaking it all up. What'd you make of it when you saw this has been making the rounds, it's been making the plays on social media. What'd you make of it? You know, I, I I'm a little offended right now. 
I mean, you're talking real wild about, you know, a, a union member who was being besmirched by, you know, this, this punk from Oklahoma. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I think we should have words too, because I'm just not hang. I'm not good with this. I think well, well, we need well, to, uh, to no, well, hold on, hold on, hold like on, men, like we're too, hold on, Adele, hold so, yeah. on. You are a United States Senator. You're a podcaster. I'm doing now my Bernie Sanders, Nicholas, sit down, sit down. Order will be restored on this podcast. That was very, that was a very I, good listen, impression. Let me tell you something. This was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen happen in our U.S. Senate. Like this is, folks, if you if you live in Oklahoma, and Mark Wayne Mullen represents you, and this guy, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Nick, uh, was a former MMA fighter. So he started taking off the ring. If you noticed a little bit, he was getting ready to fight the Teamsters president who just looks like every uh, Irish guy that was uh, in The Departed. Um, and all of a sudden, these two are going to throw down. I, I couldn't believe it. In all seriousness, what do you make of an actual hearing like that? That is, these two have been going back and forth. They've had a little bit of a spat previously, if you haven't been following this. But what do you make of this? This is one of the wildest things. And what did you make of Bernie Sanders breaking it all down and me doing my Bernie Sanders impression because you are a United States senator? Well, first, I think it's actually a better impression. And I mean, everyone gives credit to Larry David, you know, when he's been on SNL doing it. Mike, I like yours more. And it's not just because you're my co-host. I feel like you bring a lot more of that, like, sort of guttural energy, like the real Brooklyn that, you know, Larry David just can't capture. So shout out to you for that. Um, I've been dying to bring this story up because every time, you know, we talk about the crazy things we see in Congress. And it's amazing to me. And our friend, Lindsay Travinsky, who I imagine is listening to the show, and by the way, has a book coming out. We're going to have her on the show when it comes out later in 2024. Great historian. You know, this always reminds me of the story of Charles Sumner. For anyone who's a, a fan of American history, and I hope you all are to some extent, right? And I, you should look this up. But what's incredible is if you go to the Senate's website at Senate.gov, it actually details the story. The quick rundown I'm going to share with you all is Charles Sumner was a member of the Senate. I believe from the state of Massachusetts. Yes. So he was a, a, a Republican, an anti-slavery Republican. There's a debate going on about accepting a, a pro-slavery state. And this is about Kansas, actually. So I'm actually reading the notes here from the, from the Senate's website. And you know, during that time, you know, when you know, when Senator Sumner was speaking about, you know, what's wrong with you know this action about letting Kansas in as a pro-slavery state. He goes on to talk smack about two, you know, two members of Congress, you know, Stephen Douglas of Illinois, Andrew Butler of South Carolina. Sumner runs his mouth, says all kinds of stuff, including things such as accuse one of these members of Congress of taking a mistress who, and I kid you not, this was said, this is on the Senate's website, who, though ugly to others, is always lovely to him, though polluted in the sight of the world, is chased in his sight. I am, was just stunned. Anyway, <laughs> so later on that day, you know, Congress breaks. He's working in the office. Preston Brooks, who is, but was Preston Butler's boy. It's it's funny. It says Kinsman on the set website. It's his boy. We all have we, we all have a guy like this, right? Right. Think Jeremy Renner in the town. Rolls up on Sumner with a cane and proceeds to whoop his ass. Now. I've always been sympathetic to, you know, Senator Sumner, but I got to be honest with you. If you're going to talk wild like that, you, you should get the beats. Anyway, I, it's a funny story. It's a crazy story. 
but it's not the first time. And when we talk about these crazy things we see in, in Congress, I'm always reminded of the fact that, yeah, we've been here before, which is incredible because you would think as history continues on. And that, by the way, let me remind you all, was 1856. Right. We're almost 200 years removed from that. And we're still talking crazy like this. Now, I yeah, I was when I saw that, when I heard him say, well, first off, I've never used the I've never heard the phrase consenting adults used in that context before. He, and he, by the way, he said that later on on an interview. He went on to leave with Jake Tapper and he's like, consenting adults, what does he want to date me? Like, what is this guy talking about? That's exactly about? right. Like, this is, you know, in 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 the in a time where we represent where we, you know, respect the, you know, consent. I I I really for I'll be honest with you, when he said that and he took his ring off, I'm like, this could go one of two ways. And it went toward the ladder. I do respect the, the representative teamsters who did not get up. Who's just just like, I'm ready to go, folks. Let this be a lesson. Never mess with a union man. I don't know how this, that fight's going to go down. My money's going to be on the representative of Oklahoma, just sizing them up. But that's a, that teamster's badass. That, that guy was like, uh-huh, let's go. Yeah, it, it was. It just felt. Oh, my goodness. This is crazy. It, it, that is wild. And a good history lesson there that this isn't the first time I would have loved to see that caning. Uh, be captured by the cameras in the halls of Congress. But um, yeah, so those two guys have been going at it on Twitter. That's why Mullen reacted the way he did. Like I said, this was all in a Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee hearing. There's no way that the people that were there thought that something like that would break out. Uh, a funny moment there. We leave it there. Our, our thank yous again to Kervin O'Quinn for coming on the program. Like I mentioned this week, explain, you can go check it out wherever you get your pods. If you want to watch the video portion of our interview with Kervin, head over to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. We should pop right up and hit the subscribe button for me. Audio podcast platforms, you know by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to everybody who listens to us on Good Pods. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. And we can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program. As always, I am Mike Leon not keeping a cane on me i'm next <laughs> we'll see everybody next time are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.